tell stories and I twist. That's how I work with things. So, I've been talking about in the first portion of James, we discussed who he is, the author, and then we discussed who he wrote to. And then last week I quizzed people, and it seemed we knew everything except one question that seemed to have everybody stuck. So I'm going to ask the same question again. In what chapter of the book of Acts did James provide leadership? Has the church made a decision about what parts of Jewish culture the Gentiles must be Jewish to? Call the Jerusalem Conference, what chapter in Acts? Anyone know? 15! Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to throw this out here. You know, all of the Bible is important. Everything you should read, and there, but there's going to be some texts that are kind of turning points in it, where there may be there's something going on, and then it gets resolved. Acts 15 is one of those turning points. So I'd say, I told some guys this Wednesday we were visiting, for me, as somebody who's gone from one culture to another, this is one I go back to going, um, I'm stumped here. I better see what the wise old missionaries read 2,000 years ago. Acts 15. Okay, second question, I think this is pretty easy, but James writes to the certain number of tribes, and he's referring to Israel's history. How many sons did Jacob or Israel have? How many sons did Jacob or Israel have? Come on, you guys should know this one. I'm hearing a murmur of Say it for me? Well, that's right. In the places you find that is Genesis 29 or Genesis 35. Okay, we're making simple history here, trying to summarize hundreds of years. Jacob's name becomes Israel, and he has 12 sons. They go down to Egypt, they live there 400 years. The sons get married, have kids, and they just get to be a bigger and bigger, bigger family. Eventually, they're considered a nation. They fall into slavery, then they come out of it, they go to the promised land, they become the nation of Israel, but after two kings, they split, or three kings, they split, the ten northern tribes become Israel, the two southern, Judah and Benjamin become the twelve Judah and Benjamin. What empire did the northern ten tribes of Israel fall to? What empire? Assyria! We're getting to know this stuff, and I'm going to give you a date, and I might catch me on this one next week. It happened in 722 B.C. If you read scholars, there'll be a little bit of debate, but most will say 722 B.C., so I'll go with that one. It's in 2 Kings. Fourth question, what empire did the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin fall to? What empire did they fall to? Daniel will end up being in this place. Ezekiel will end up being here. I heard someone say Babylon. That happens in 587, or most scholars would say 587, and find the story in 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles. Last question, what three empires followed Babylon, and it created this very scattered, diverse Jewish people? Three empires that come after Babylon. Yeah, I heard someone say Persia.
duty seven years there, and they'll get shifted. Then, you know, Babylon thinks they're powerful, but Persia conquers them, and then it's a new kingdom that they're living under. Under Persia, they go back and rebuild Jerusalem, but then, still in the Persian Empire, Persia falls to Greece, Greek becomes the language, and they're the smartest people, they're the best educated. Greece will fall to Rome, and the Rome has the power, but you know what language and education system they keep in, in Rome? It's Greek. So, by the time you get to the New Testament, it's all written in Greek. The roads and the economy are driven by Rome. And you've got these Jewish people scattered all over. And in many ways, it provides the seeds for the gospel. Now, kids, we're going to be talking stuff, and I kind of really hope I'm not boring you too much. But I want you to remember a couple of things. One is I read James. It's good to, of the books in the New Testament, it reads the most like most like Proverbs, and sometimes we who are followers of Jesus, we kind of start to disregard the Old Testament, and we focus so much on the New that we kind of forget what's the background of this, and we even start to have, for lack of a better term, kind of prejudice against the Old Testament. I want you to remember that the Old Testament is about our hearts, about what takes inside motivates us. What do the feelings do? The Old Testament's about that, too. And there's a couple of passages I could read to draw your attention to, but I like going back to the Ten Commandments, because it's another one of these refined texts. In the Ten Commandments, it says this, do not want anything that belongs to someone else. Don't want anyone's house, wife, or husband, slaves, oxen, donkeys, or anything else. That's reading from the contemporary English version of Exodus 20, verse 17. When you have nine commandments that are do this or don't do this, and then the last one says don't covet, Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that no matter how many laws, how many rules, how many principles or guidance you give people, they still have to deal with their own heart. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. My last question I hope you will answer this. Why can't we get along? Why do we have tension at home? Anyone got an idea? Sin, okay. Man, you, but you're a good theologian as a little kid. Jeff, can you define sin for me? What's sin mean? That's a word we use at church. If you weren't talking to church,
Then he mentions that some people ask for God, ask things from God, and have bad motives. So I think they use religion to try and manipulate people. I hope I'm not giving you a small language of problems in many times in the world. I think sometimes we complain about people use God's name in vain. When we use his name to proclaim something that he's endorsing and we ask for a result, which is really we're not submitting to it. We can use religion to manipulate The second big paragraph, the second big question as I look through this text is where do we stand? The conflicts are caused by what's internal, what's systemic. And we got to understand God's righteousness as the provider, and we can go to him, but we go to him seeking his will, not your own. Where do we stand? One of the images that James talks about is he uses the word helpless. And if you read through the Old Testament and you look for the illustrations that are used to describe what is God's relationship like, particularly with the nation of Israel and Judah, then you can watch it go into the New Testament. A common illustration and in the New Testament, we have the church described as the bride of Christ. But when things go wrong, one of the most frequent images of the world is a spouse who betrays a husband. And as James says, the adulterous people, I think there's some conflict going on within the churches. Is that love? Where when the old wise man some type of conflict that may be within our family. It could be a couple of siblings forming the lines. Or the siblings try to see if mom and dad can form some type of alliance. And this happens in churches and it happens in sports teams and it happens in businesses and it happens in communities and it happens in nations. And a lot of times when that's going on, you got to look around and figure out how can I gain favor of and then we speak words that will draw in favor instead of words that will draw in connection. James would want us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to say, I'm going to seek your favor. And he describes God in terms that every time I hear this, and I ask Rab to read the song in Glossos, always embarrasses me. Because we When you read through the Bible and you find that God the Father, Jesus the bridegroom, are described as jealous. That God the Father and Jesus the bridegroom look at us, the bride of Christ, and is jealous for us. He loves us with an intensity that cannot tolerate divided love. 
Trump's losing the bank helping you. Now, as we wrestle with that, if we're really being true to ourselves, and then true to honest and transparent, what's going on in our own hearts? We have to recognize we have impure motives. Where do we go with this? And God's grace always goes out to all when he opposes the and story after story in the Old and New Testament shows that when we're recognizing, yeah, I've got divided loyalties. I've made choices that I perceive favor of man is not necessarily All we have to do is turn to him and just be humble. He works through you. God's grace always goes out.